Welcome to the Return to the Forgotten Path podcast. Join us on this journey to travel to a forgotten pathway that leads to rest and restoration. This podcast is a weekly Bible study of this week's Torah portion, known as a Parsha. It's a weekly reading according to the Jewish annual Torah cycle. Every week, we will have a discussion filled with both historical and cultural viewpoints as it pertains to the return to the forgotten path that is increasingly happening all around the world. We will review and share opinions from the weekly Torah, also known as the five first books of the Bible or the Mosaic Law. We will also do readings from the Hafsorah and the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament readings. For those who ask, what is the forgotten path? Jeremiah 6.16 puts it like this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Our podcast seeks to point our listeners to that ancient old path through the study of the Bible from the perspective of the Torah, which is properly translated as instructions. And now the blessing before the Torah study. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. This Torah portion is Akare Mot, After the Death. This 29th reading from the Torah and 6th reading from Leviticus is... um named Akare Mot, which means after the death, the title comes from the first words of the first verse of the reading, which say, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, found at the beginning of Leviticus 16, verse 1. Leviticus 16 describes the tabernacle ceremony for the holy festival of the Day of Atonement. 17, chapter 17, establishes general rules for sacrifice and sanctuary, and Leviticus chapter 18 lays down specific laws about permitted and forbidden sexual relations. The Torah portion for Akare Mot comes from the book of Leviticus or Vayikra 16, verse 1 through 18, verse 30. The Haftarah portion is from the book of Ezekiel 22, verses 1 through 19, and the Gospel, but Harashah portion, Harashah portion, Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20, the book of Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34. For those of us reading along, utilizing Hebrews for Christians, our Torah portion is the same, but our Brit Hadashah portion is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 28. All right. So as we get started, it's good to be back after the Passover holiday, guys and gals. We start back with everything that occurred after Abihad and Abiru bring the strange fire to Adonai and Aaron's two, well, two of Aaron's sons die during this big first opening ceremony at the Mishkan of the temple. So picking back up, the Lord speaks to Moses after the death of his sons. And when they drew near before the Lord and died, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil 
before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have a linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. Turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in the water and then put them on. And then he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So those are the first five verses setting the stage for this conversation. You find it very striking that the work must still go on even in the midst of this unbelievable grief that's occurring. His two sons die in front of him. And I says to Moshe, hey, look, I understand what just happened. Here's what needs to be done. And here's how it needs to be done. My takeaways are similar to what I've heard from a lot of other teachers online is that there's a specific way that you come for, before the Lord Most High. And just because it feels a certain way or you want to do it a certain way or whatever, does not mean it, it is the prescribed way or the protocol that one comes before the King of Kings. So as a reminder, let's go back over these ground rules one more time. Here's the process. Here's the protocol. Here's what needs to be done. Don't do anything else. Well, I can definitely um, add some context to what you're saying. Um, and this is just like practical learning. I remember in our early 20s, I had a friend that would say, you know, God speaks to me very um, upfront. Like just the way that I speak to myself is how God speaks to me. Mm -hmm. And I honestly felt that um, at the time I was like, well, that's kind of, you're kind of rude. <laughs> so I, I I doubt sorely that it's really the way Hashem is really speaking to you as much as your subconscious is speaking back to you what you've said um, out of your mouth or internally. But as much as Hashem uses your subconscious mind to kind of point and direct, I do see how some of the times we get into our minds that the way that I feel or the way that I feel directed is the way that I come before God because he's, you know, there's so many songs in Christianity, for example, it says come as you are and coming as you are somehow in our minds means we bring all of the trash and we bring all of the rudeness that represents who we are at this time and we can, we're accepted in that rudeness and in that state of being. And I, on one side, Hashem wants to restore, but on another way, in a practical sense, you're going to get out what you've actually put in. You're not going to come before Hashem and be disrespectful and rude and speak to him like he's one of your boys um, and think that you're going to get from Hashem respect and love. Because what's happening really is that, and I'll share with this in terms of just a practical thing, because I do feel like there's some practical just understanding that we we honor what we see and what we don't see. We, we often throw our imaginaries onto. And so we do this very often with things that are spiritual, where we put our ideology of who God is, in other words, the, the 
image of who we think God is into practice. And what we find in his word is that he is not what you have created in your mind. And if you really want to find out who he is and the nature of his character or the way that he relates to humanity, uh, I think you ought to find the path or the way that he's prescribed. Because there's something about understanding that path and then just following it, even if you don't fully get it initially, that brings you into an awareness that just coming as you are will never do. And so number one, don't think your ideology, your imagery of God is who he becomes because I cast off or onto just like the imaginarians of foreign gods uh, before the idea of who the king of kings or the, the God of heaven is that I'm going to now make unto myself a new image of God and however I choose to worship him is acceptable. That is wrong. That is honestly wrong. And honestly, what you will get out of it is really what you have created in it. And so what I find in this uh, Akrimo portion is a humbling. And I do honestly think before we begin to really understand who God is, we need to humble ourselves. And I, I do feel like that's the one step that most people do not honestly tell this generation to do first. Before you want to ask all that you want to ask and seek all that you want to know and get all that you want to get, can you humble yourself to recognize that you are coming before the King of Kings, bless be he, that you are finite and you're coming into the infinite presence of your creator. And if you could do this in your imaginary, just think in your imagination, if you were to have met your uh, someone who's wealthy in the world or a king or a queen in this world, would you come at them in your normalcy? Would you have come and not attired yourself? Would you not have prepared yourself to know the protocol of how they would prefer to be addressed? So why do we find that learning who Hashem is and following what he has prescribed is outside of our requirement? No, he'll just take you as you are. And, and that is, I think that's tomfoolery. Um, unfortunately, it does lead us on a path that keeps us guessing as to what God is and how he shows up in our lives. We keep guessing. And it, you don't have to guess. He's given you guidance so that you can draw near, take the path to draw near. Humble yourself enough to recognize there's a protocol, first and foremost. That's a great point. And to touch upon that a little bit more, Verses 6 through 14, I just want to make sure that 14, I won't read them all here, but essentially it goes into how Aaron has to make a sacrifice to atone for his sins before he can even come on behalf of the people. Mm -hmm. So now looking at it from a messianic perspective, where we've been taught in some circles that you can come as you are because God doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Messiah, Yeshua, or 
Jesus on the cross or however it was taught to you in your learning. And so your sins are hidden. You're made righteous so you could keep doing what you've been doing. But it goes right back to what you were saying about the protocol fitting a king and the king of kings of kings. Yeah. There is still a right way. And if, yeah, the first few verses spoke about the proper way you attire yourself. But then the rest of it continues to go about how you need to prepare for you in your own ways are not suitable. And before you can come making a request, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Imploring on someone else's behalf, atoning for the sins of the people, representing anybody else. You got to take care of yourself first. And that humility is something that you're going to have to swallow. Yes, he knows where you've been and he understands that you're not coming perfect. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you're acceptable that way to stay there. It, you know, just to take a very basic interpretation, if you had a child and ran away from home and got lost and they come back home, they're dirty and they're muddy and whatever, that you're not going to be like, hey, kid, you can't come in this house. But now that you're here, we're going to clean you up. Mm -hmm. We're going to straighten you out. We're going to make sure you're fed and we're going to figure out, okay, what do you need to get back to being whole and complete and feeling loved and safe again. Mm -hmm. We ain't gonna leave you like you were, mm -hmm. but you can't stay that way. Yeah. And so coming right back full circle to all of this is exactly that. You and your smart brain, your lovely selves, your beautiful people, however you wish to see yourself, it's a wonderful thing. God don't make junk. Doesn't mean that he's gonna accept it and say, let's hang out like this. It's just not befitting the king of kings. He gave specific instructions on how this dwelling that he was going to come down and hang out in was to be down to the detail in the brass studs. You are not going to have any requirements? That's it's just a life in the pit of hell. Mm -hmm. There's no truth to it. Absolutely. And so the, the twisting of the truth is where these things come from. And so the concept is the one that you hear very often in uh, religious circles that God looks on their heart. So the, the actual scripture where that's taken from is actually 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 7. And this is where, this is the instance where Samuel is being told to go anoint a king. And in that instance, the Lord repeats these words to Samuel, look not on his countenance or the height of his statue, because I have refused him. This is one of Jesse's sons. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, you're absolutely right that the Lord is looking on the, what we could say, the spirit of man. He's, he, he's again, this, the scripture that came this week twice, even three times over from multiple speakers, was that God is, you know, the time is now that God is looking for they that worship him and worship him in spirit and in truth. So he's looking for your true essence to show up in worship and praise. And so in that sense, what he was telling Samuel is I've already assigned a smell or a, a, a value to he who is looking after me. And that's how he assigns a value to David. He says, a man after my own heart. And he's not gonna look the way that men perceive him. 
But in that same light, we have to understand that God is not what we now perceive of him. Um, and so what we need to understand is that because he knew that his thoughts being higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways, he had to make a some points of clarity so that we would come to him in a way that we can understand and then commune with him. And so a loving God creates a loving path, not so that we would confuse that loving path with taking advantage of grace. And so you're not going to abuse with your behavior, what you end up doing in trying to come as you are, so to speak, or bring your rudeness to the table is you're going to inherit what you sow. You're gonna reap it um, instead of obtaining healing. And in the same way where I had this friend that would say, God speaks to me the way that I speak to, you know, the way I speak right now. And, I, and it really was just very rude. What she had not learned at the time, um, and it not to be, I've had male friends do this too, that what they had not learned at the time is what you have created in your mind was an image of God. And that what you are sowing right now is that image of God uh, condemning you. And that's why we have to be very careful about the sacrifice that we bring. As we come and he's saying, you know, prepare yourself. This portion is really talking about two things. And, and one of the things I wanted to read real quickly about uh, Akarit Mot is uh, how it relates to Yom Kippur. Something about this I didn't know uh, until today. And so I wanted to just read two lines. This is from Hebrews for Christians. And then you know, I'll turn it back over to you, RJ. It says that uh, when Nadab and Abihu, the two sons of Aaron, were killed, when they offered strange fire upon the altar of incense during the dedication of the tabernacle, they did so in the Holy of Holies, right? Because these priests came close to the Holy of Holies and offered incense in a forbidden manner. The Lord commanded Moses to instruct Aaron that he should enter the innermost chamber only in a carefully prescribed manner once a year on the 10th day of the seventh month during the second time, sacred time called Yom Kippur or the day of, day of atonement. This portion of parasha is so important that it's not only read once during the year, it's read twice. It's also read during um, this season of Yom Kippur. Incidentally, this is the anniversary of the date of when Moses descended from Sinai with the restored tablets of the covenant after Israel was forgiven of the sin of the golden calf. On this most solemn day, Aaron was commanded to immerse himself in a mikvah, a pool of fresh water, and to dress in all white linen. And he then was instructed to slaughter, as you mentioned, RJ, a bull as a personal sin offering. And Aaron then brought some keteret incense to burn within the Holy of Holies before the returning to, the, to sprinkle the blood of the sin offering seven times before the Ark of the Covenant, or the kaporet, the mercy seat. Aaron repeated this procedure using the blood of one of two goats who was selected by Lot to be slaughtered as a sin offering on behalf of the people. After this, Aaron took more of the sacrificial blood and purified the altar of incense and the other furnishings of the tabernacle. Later, the fat of these sacrifices were burned on the copper altar in the courtyard, though me, though the hide and the flesh were to be entirely burnt outside the camp. What is interesting about this is what the word yom, meaning day, and kippur actually means. The kippur, as I just learned today, 
which we I've always said Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Know what that means. But what Kippur is actually is a plural Hebrew word indicating purification rituals. In traditional Judaism, Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the Jewish year. It's marked by fasting and penitential prayers. But notice that there were also two types of sacrifices that were a few steps to this uh, that Aaron, the high priest, had to go through. And yes, there's or two categories that he had to complete um, before he entered the Holy of Holies. And in such a way, we have to remember that that drawing near to God has those two key pores. Uh, we have the sacrifice of the sin offering, but we also have the the washing of the sanctification, that, that mikvah process as well. And so when you're teaching and you're training up this new generation, I do dare to say that we have not taught them the two points to prepare to meet the king. We have not taught, we've taught them about the sacrifice of the sin offering and how, what Yeshua represents, but we have not shared with them the ritual cleansing, um, where we humble ourselves, we prepare our spirit as much as our mind and body for what meeting with the King of Kings represents. And so there is a spiritual significance with fasting and prayer, because we oftentimes don't live in communities where we can do a mikvah. And we are not in the age where we can do the sacrifices. And knowing that you know Yeshua represents the eternal sacrifice, this that portion you can say has been already affixed for us, but you have to come preparing to present it, or humbling yourself to the understanding that him being my sacrifice, I have to prepare myself in penitence and prayer, uh, fasting and prayer to to receive it, to receive this sacrifice on my behalf. And so I I would say this was very important to me, and what I took as the first step for a renewal of my faith, my renewal of my personal walk with Hashem, because, you know, how often do we actually physically humble ourselves? How often do we physically um, put ourselves in the corner and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not condemning myself, but I do recognize I'm not, you know, there is no righteousness in me. There's so many things that you have done and delivered me from. And um, if I don't give you the right access to me as clay, I none of these things that look good would need to be here. And so I say that to say in our earthen vessel, these bodies, we need to practice both. And that really needs to come from all of our leaders so that our children and our community members understand what begins the practice of drawing near to Hashem. Hmm. I get that. And that um, gives me two pieces of follow-up. And I'll try to be concise with it. So verses 15 through 19, after Aaron has made atonement for his sins and his person, now he's eligible to kill the goat of the sin offering that's for the people, bring his blood inside the veil, and do with his blood as he did with the blood of the bull for his own sin. And makes atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel. So he's got 
just like you were just saying, Laverne, he's got to take account for his own self and humble himself and say, yeah, I've got this title of high priest in the nation of Israel, but I'm not perfect by any way stretch of the imagination. I got to come right. Then after I come right, I can step in and then I can make atonement for the people. But if I don't take care of me, if I walk in there with pomp and circumstance, talking about <laughs> she know who I am, well, that's that. Mm-hmm. And then he can't, I mean, besides the fact that he would be dead, even if he were allowed to go into the most holy of holies, it would be for no gain because you didn't come correct. Mm-hmm. You, didn't, you didn't go in the right procedure. And then even after he sprinkles the blood at the altar and makes the atonement for the people, he still had to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people. So once that's all done, you got to clean up after yourself now because you brought all that mess in there. Then when he's made an end of atoning for the holy place and a tent of meeting in the altar, this is now verse 20, now he presents a live goat. The Azazel is... Uh, yeah, I may be pronouncing it correct, incorrectly right now. So thank you for that. Could be wrong. I don't know. Well, forgive us if we're wrong on either one of those two, but... The scapegoat is, as described in verse 21, Aaron lays both of his hands on the head of the live goat, confesses over this goat all the iniquities of the people of Israel and their transgressions, all their sins, puts all of that on the head of the goat, sends it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and then he, this man, lets the goat go free in the wilderness. Seems like a very strange couple of verses until you realize that if you think back to protocol, I'm coming before the king of kings of kings. I've got to, let's be he, I've got to make myself right before I make my request to please hear and pardon the sins of the people. And then even if he says, okay, I hear you and I forgive you, there's still a sacrifice that needs to be made. And so the dead goat can't take the burning for the people that was a sacrifice so now you need a live goat mm-hmm. that can take it and quote unquote run away with it and so that's why you have the handler to walk with this goat far away because you don't want the sins of the people coming back into the camp mm-hmm. you got to take it far far away so they don't pick it up again and go back and do the same thing all over and when you realize all of that has been done Verse 23 then begins to say that after all of that, Aaron comes back into the tent of meeting, takes off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place because he doesn't need those anymore. And now you bathe your body in water, you put back on your regular high priest clothing, and then you go back and you offer your burnt offerings and then sin offerings, and the person who let the goat go to Azazel the scapegoat, he, they wash their clothes, they bathe their body in water before they can come into the camp. And if we don't realize all of the sacrifice and the nuance and the particular methods and protocol to go before the king, it's very difficult to respect yourself or another human because your own heart is hardened on how great you are and how little wrong you've done mm-hmm. and you know just going to you mentioned on clay 
I think about this Georgia clay that we're going to have this fun landscaping project on tomorrow. That stuff has got to be soaked in water before you can do anything with it. You see them like the movies where people are making clay pots and they got the potter's wheel. They're spinning these little vases and stuff into existence. That stuff is hard to work with. Dry. You got to soak it. And so imagine ourselves as prideful human beings thinking, because it's very difficult to admit that you made a mistake, much less repent of it and say you're sorry before a perfect God. There's a whole lot of work that needs to be done on the humbling side for you to be able to sit there and say, okay, here am I. You've taken me like this. I can't say like this. Mm-hmm. Then, on behalf of your family, your community, the nation of Israel, whoever charge you've been given in your life, you've got to now cover those. And then when you do all of that, you still got to get back to your day job. Mm. There's not a lack of drama in the moment. It's very full circle because you're going right back to realizing I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by this awesome and amazing God. I realize that I'm only standing here because of that grace, that mercy, that ability to come back and atone and repent. And then after I do that for myself and everybody else in my circle that I'm responsible for, I still got work to do. I can't just stay in this moment of quote unquote perfect holiness and just sit in a bubble. I got to get back out there because people need to see that example. I need to keep living because how do I keep growing? And the cycle continues. So it's never just a one and done. It's a continuous refreshing and rejuvenation of this relationship that makes it as beautiful as it is. So I can, uh, we're going to continue to talk about uh, this in regards to not only the sacrifice itself, but the sacrifice and the relationship for the rules of sacrifice and the sanctuary, as well as forbidden and specific laws for sexual relationships in our next segment. And now going into the second segment on this Parsha with the instructions against eating blood. At first you would think it seems kind of weird to be placing this in the middle until you recognize the connection between the atonement and the blood of the animal. For the Lord's instructions say that the life is in the blood. And so you can't sprinkle the blood of an animal to atone for your sins, to sacrifice, and then go ahead and eat the same life energy of another animal that you're killing for meat or whatever. And then say there's nothing special in it. It doesn't work both ways. Going back again to the humility principle that we were speaking of earlier, you've got to recognize the greater connection in all of this and our roles in each of it. So with that in place, the commandment is very simple. Therefore, and this is um, verse 12, chapter 7, verse 12, 17, verse 12, excuse me. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, 
No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. So that means if someone's staying in your house, they can bring a blood sandwich or in the Caribbean, blood, uh, blood sausage. And there's so many dishes throughout the world. Every culture has got some something. Um, you just got to be mindful of what you're eating and the significance of it all. And The blood sausage wasn't even a Caribbean thing. It really was from our enslavement period. It came from European sources. But that being said, you know, we, we've adopted a lot of our cultures of surrounding people um, over time, and we don't always recognize where these things or these behaviors came from. Um, not to say that we are guiltless, but once you have accepted the sacrifice of the atonement uh, to draw near, we now have to work circumspectly. And so to that end, one of the things that I remember that someone brought to my attention about that accepting of the blood sacrifice and accepting of the atonement of Hashem, it people call it in Christian circles the um, the baptize, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to call it um, what the scriptures really call it. It's like you know the the sacrifice or the acceptance of the sacrifice now, as the Lord has said, has made you clean and has begun the process of sanctification. And so the that process of being made clean, pure, presented before Hashem now that you can, that presence of Hashem convicts us of things that we were not aware of previously. And although we are not always redeemed, meaning our mindset and knowledge as to what this means, there's a pricking in our heart regarding not living like that any longer. And the significance of the transformation is the fact that that now happens, whereas that did not happen before. And so going back to what we talked about three, four weeks ago, where there is a process where there is, you're going from unclean to clean and then to holy that's really where you know hashem wants us to be we want to be in the place of holiness but we have to rid ourselves of things that separate us and so this process of sanctification is ridding us of the things that separate us from hashem and it there is that is the symbol that is the sign that you know that that is no longer the person you used to be is not the person that you are now because there's a pricking there's a significant um, desire not to do it the way that I used to do it any longer. And even the motivation to try to learn something different, regardless of age. Because I've heard this of two of people that came to come to know Hashem and come into a relationship with him in later years. They, the significance of that decision makes them sometimes regret that they waited that so long, number one. Number two, that's, but that's the sign, though. That's the sign that you are now being sanctified because now the things that satisfied you before no longer satisfies you. And then secondly, the, the desire for new things, um, which is what uh, Yeshua was referring to in the Brit Hadashah about, behold, all things have become new. There's such a newness in of life and a taste for different things that appeal to the relationship that you now have in Hashem that really compels you to pursue things that he desires and he likes.
Yeah, I don't have anything more to add to that, but it does, that change of character is something that just comes from the inside out. It becomes intrinsic as you follow and you adore the Lord your God. Wrapping up chapter 17, uh, verses 13 through 16. Anyone also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, so, you know, it's got to be a kosher animal, a clean animal, something that's fit to eat. So any beast of bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. For the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. Now, with me reading that, two things pop out. One, obviously, the five times, the life of every creature is his blood. Don't eat the blood. It, it's, it's right there. Five verses, it's smacking you in the face over and over again. Mm -hmm. But more than that, it's saying that even you, the people in the area, if you find something along the roadside, be mindful of the greater principle of it because there's always going to be somebody that tries to go, well, what happens if it was in this situation? Or what happens if it was a Tuesday? What happens if I stubbed my toe first and then I fell upon an animal that died? In the okay, covering all of that, be mindful of the principle mm -hmm. and understand why it's important. And then this is how you take care of it. Period. That's it. Don't try to find the loopholes around it. Don't try to figure out, well, if I do it on a Wednesday at 3.49 p.m., I skipped it. <laughs> Just stay true to the principles and do what needs to be done, and then everything else will work itself out. So on the same practice, kind of going back, I had to go back to what week it was. It was Parshazal. Um, I believe it was from a few weeks ago. We talked about, and you mentioned the, the eating of the thing that died of its own self or not died of itself, it was torn to pieces by mm -hmm. another animal. Well, the scriptures basically said that the man who does that is now defiled. He's now made tame. Literally, you've gone out of your cleanliness mm -hmm. into uncleanliness. So now you, you have to wait until evening to be reconciled back into tahor. Mm -hmm. cleanliness so that you can continue your process of sanctification to become kadosh mm -hmm. so it's like why do you keep taking you know steps step, step backwards and this is kind of linking what is spoken of by yeshua in the brit hadashah that the man who um puts his hand to the plow and returns thither is not worthy of the kingdom that's what you're basically constantly doing by going back to eat the pig slop. Why are you making yourself unclean only to come back, defiling yourself to be made clean again, to begin again the sanctification process? You're delaying where you can ultimately truthfully be, which is kadosh, holy, one with Hashem, you know, child and father, commune with one another. Very true, very true. And with chapter 18, 
even though a lot of Bible versions have the caption unlawful sexual relations, the first five verses, I believe, set the principle in motion. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, before we go into all of the uncleanliness and unrighteous relationships, taking this into account, we realize two things. Going back again to the unclean, clean, holy, to may, to whore, kodesh, kodosh, excuse me. It's a similar principle. God pulled you out of your sinful ways and is bringing you into a new place. But even in those new places and new spaces, there's still sin. Mm -hmm. We're living in a fallen world. We're not going to get into this holy place while we're still here on this um, earth. So understanding that you're going to have to walk, to use Laverne's favorite word, circumspectly wherever you go and when whatever space the Lord gives you audience, You've got to carry these principles with you. Don't do as you did before. Don't do as you see them doing over there either. Follow my instructions. It's very easy to get into those things. And then touching on the on sexual relationships, when you get into these environments and spaces, it becomes an intimate relationship. You spend a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Think about how many hours you spend at work or <laughs> how long church services go and how many hours you spend there. How many hours do you spend in your car or watching your favorite TV shows? You spend a lot of time with your friends and with these things. And it's very easy to absorb those habits just through proximity and osmosis and repetition if you're not being mindful on to which playbook am I running off of. It's very easy to go into a restaurant and get crab cakes or a cheeseburger or the shrimp scan because it looks so appealing and appetizing if you don't check and go wait should i be eating that so i can't get a cheeseburger so i can imagine some people taking a second what you talking about willis like that one um so it's more so that you don't recognize to honor hashem above all else means that if there's some things that he commands and we talked about that during the mishpatim if there's commands that you just don't understand, but there is a significance enough that he mentioned it, even uh, the conversation about boiling the, the goat in its mother's milk mm -hmm. and the Jewish practice where they don't eat the meat and the cheese together. I didn't understand it. And now we live in a modern age, so they could do all these different experiments and all this stuff. And I found out that almost everything that Hashem, if not all things that he's, it's all for our own good. It's not anything that he commanded is really for his benefit. It's all for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so even with the respecting life, which did not necessarily seem like a uh, a commandment that has any great significance. Oh, you, you ate a cheeseburger. What's the big deal? 
Um, it does, it, it actually spoils the stomach. It destroys the, um, the acids within the stomach that's necessary. It creates fermentation. It, it depletes what's your life energy. But again, people don't teach you these things. It seems like insignificant, but it was significant enough for Hashem to have mentioned it. And when he mentions it, oftentimes, it also comes back to respecting life. You talked about the blood being in, I mean, life being in the, the, in the blood of an animal. Sometimes we just, just because we have the power or the ability to rule over and dominate over the works of Hashem's creation, sometimes we don't respect and honor the order that he's placed. And so by Hashem giving us these instructions, even down to the, the what most people consider the, the smallest of commandments, which is the separating the mother bird, if you're going to take the baby bird, you know, the smallest of commandments all aligns our soul on this process of sanctification to being one and in oneness with Hashem. Because we are going to recognize that everything has divine authority and an order and a respect for life that honestly gives him praise and glory. And so I wanted to just say two things to this. And that was number one. Number two was that um, Psalms today I was reading and it was in regards to praise and worship. And um, the one that came to me was a Israel Houghton song that's um, uh, which says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in his name. That one, that's the name of the song. But the scripture that is it's related to, it says, thanks be to God who causes us to um, to be victorious. And I think that's so I did a, a, a quick study on the victory and Psalms 21 came up multiple times. And so there is two lines, number one, um, that helps us to recognize when we are being committed to following God's principles, what really is happening in terms of victory. Psalms 21 verse six says, your victory, your victory, your victory, my victory, his victory brings him, God, great glory. You confer on him splendor and honor. So a lot of us, when we tend to think about our triumphing in his name, I don't think that we recognize that when we're giving opportunity to also glorify God and him triumphing. Um, uh, I know that it says the Adonai, the king, finds joy in your strength. Adonai, the king of all kings, the king of all kings, let's be he, finds joy in your strength. And what great joy he displays in your victory. God rejoices when you are conquering. And, it, and equally, when we are victorious, we give him great glory. And I find that, that that's Psalms 21, verse 2 and Psalms 21, verse 6. We deny and deny knowing him by going the easier route with what's common with man. And just as you mentioned, going into the land, don't do like the inhabitants in the land that um, disposing and don't do like the people that you saw in Egypt. Well, that was common to man. All those behaviors are common to man, but they, they bring displeasure and they bring a, a connotation that links the name of God with detestable things that do not honor him, that do not cause us to triumph, that does not bring glory or honor. And it separates and it brings us back to where we were, which she took us out of, which is separation and, and entanglement and now enslavement back to an old master. And that's, what was the purpose of that? Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, so joy, being having joy in your salvation is really recognizing that every aspect of the command was really for thanks be to God who causes us to triumph. We are triumphing. We are more than overcomers in him who has loved us. And he causes us to do so because he takes great joy in it. And when we triumph, we bring even greater glory to him. Amen to that. Amen. Well, wrapping this um, up, I won't read all the different close relative relationships that are forbidden. A lot of them, I've, well, you would say are relatively common, but obviously they had historical precedent and some commonality that it had to be mentioned about don't sleep with your mother, don't sleep with your father, don't you know, deal with your sisters and your brothers and their daughters and their sons and so forth and so on. What I stuck on after that word, the last part of it, the, the verse, chapter 18, verses 24 through 30. After you go through all of that and you wonder, why did I read all of these verses? Don't make yourself unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I'm driving out before you, have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. So, okay, you you got all these rules of do not do's. Here's why: the people before you did that, and I'm kicking them out because of it. So, keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, even a native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. For me, it said, hey, look, I've seen this before. And I didn't like it, and I kicked them out. I'm giving you an opportunity to get in there, but if you do the same thing, I'm going to run you out of town too. So hear me and hear me well. Follow my rules. Follow my statutes. Follow my commands. You'll be good. If you want to pick up their crazy customs, they're going to vomit you out this land too. Be mindful. Stay within. Stay in between the ditches and follow the... The protocol, you know, just going back to what you were saying earlier, this relationship, it's, it requires that constant recommitment. It's very easy to get caught up in what you see every day versus what you should be doing every day. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing that heart and schedule check to make sure your time and emotions are lined up with where it ought to be, you can go off the rails in a very well-meaning fashion and tell yourself five or 10 years, I've been doing the right thing for the right reasons and then look and go, ooh, oops, I was off. Yeah, that's basically what the, what the Haftorah was talking about, that they were still making the sacrifices and they were considering themselves to be different than the Goyim or the nations that surrounded them. Mm -hmm. But the Lord found it detestable because their heart was not right. So it's like, again, you're still practicing to me when you, <laughs> which is so, it's funny because we, we try to kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, where we convince ourselves that the image and the ideology of God 
that God only cares about these practices. But the idea of who we think God is, is what we're really worshiping. And not him truthfully and not him honestly. He's maintaining his covenant to us, but we have created a separation This that was not supposed to be there in that practice. And so for some of us, this is attending worship services and living, you know, the other six days of the week completely contrary. Um, and other ways, sometimes we are doing it by not, you know, playing small mm -hmm. when God has made a great opportunity and a blessing in us to triumph and to bring glory to his name. Or it is us not wanting to grow where he's like, you know, grow where I plan you occupy until I come. And we're like, oh, you'll take care of it all. All of those things that we have done are detestable because even the land itself, and that's what I think is always interesting about how our behaviors directly impact the world around us. Even the land itself finds it so disgusting that the scriptures always state the that the land's gonna vomit you out. It's like, not only is it just horrible to the creator himself, it's horrible to you. And the land feels how horrible of the, the destructive power. Um, and it's, this also kind of links together between the spiritual world and the, the physical. You know, nothing that you're doing in the, in your these human bodies is not directly linked to a spiritual outcome. And just in the same fashion that we're having a physical experience in this world, we, the spiritual realm of how this world works is directly linked to what we're so there's so many time in this reaping. And so we too have to recognize that there is a um, an opportunity inherent with obedience because it does bring restoration, renewal, and triumph and victory. But when we operate outside of that and it's comfort and you know joy joy play play it's not really joy joy it really is just distraction distraction um it honestly brings us it draws us away into things that do not give honor to god and number one the first step away is making us unclean and then second to that is making us now enslaved to another master and that was not what we were redeemed for so according to the scripture, you know, use the, the word of what Hashem has told us because we don't want to triumph in the name of Hashem and then have the land vomit us out. You know, what was the point? What was what did you really obtain? Yeah, express ticket out of town. <laughs> to say the least, and unfortunately, what you conveyed to somebody else is that you did not really know who this God really was. You know, people have said that time and time and again, it's like, you know, the children of Israel must have done something really horrible because look how their land laid waste for such, so, so many years. Mm -hmm. But look again at how God and his word and his um, promise has brought it back to flourishing and the top, the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath. You know, the, you know that's what obedience to this instruction into this commitment and covenant is going to do that even the land itself is going to bear fruit under the anointing of the relationship of being nominated holy by Hashem. So come away from the things that you know defile. Remove yourself. Go back to the cleanliness and the practices of cleanliness because in that you're going to move towards the sanctification of holiness that brings unity.
and in the world. And ultimately, like in the name of um, Donald Lawrence, let's get back to Eden and live on top of the world. So that's my plan. I hope that's yours too. It is uh, well said. I got nothing else to add to that, but shalom, y'all. Shalom, y'all. Listen, Eden is kingdom, and Eden mindset is a kingdom mindset. Let me hear ya. Where my Eden citizens at? Where my Eden citizens at? Where you at? Let me see your DMs like this. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. Yeah, like this. Come on. Come on, y'all, and get up, Y'all can say it, get up, somebody. So as we conclude this podcast episode, we always encourage those that are listening to like, share, subscribe, and continue the dialogue with us. By all means, please feel free to share any of these sessions with anyone within your circle and those that you meet. May we all be enlightened by our study together and learning of the world. And to reach us, our website is return.rest and email is call to the number two at return.rest. So by all means, send your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Let's see what we can do to keep making this something of great value to each other. And as we close, we'll close with the Etzkayim prayer. Etzkayim ki machazikim bar beton mekeha nevishar derecheha darkei noah vechol nativotika shalom hashivenu adonai eleka venashuba chadesh it is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come renew our days as of old. Shalom, y'all.